0: Welcome to Season 3 of the Hope Motivates Action Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Recknell. Such an inspiring episode for you today. You'll get to meet Jana Milligan, a certified senior advisor and a specialist in elder care who understands the changing family dynamics as many of us look to a future supporting aging parents. Jana shares her advice for communication between ourselves and our parents, as well as what important questions to ask any caregivers engaged in the support of your family. We also talk about hope how the future can be better than today when we consider both the physical and emotional needs of our parents, and as importantly, for ourselves. I have to tell you also that I messed up in my introduction of Jana at the beginning of the episode. I called her the wrong name. I eventually get it right, but didn't notice at the time. So sorry, Jana. If you're interested in any of the books, resources, and tools I mentioned in this episode, all the links you'll need can be found in the show notes of your favorite podcast player, or head to the blog and pod page of my website at expertinhope.com, and you'll find them all there too. I truly believe that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control, and conversations like this really reinforce that hope. So, without any more delay, let's get to it. Welcome to another awesome episode of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Recknell, and I would love to introduce you to Jane Milligan this morning. Jane is an innovative elder care professional. She's also an entrepreneur and a coach, and she is passionate about advocating for older adults. I cannot wait to hear this conversation because more and more of us are going to um, come into the situation where we are caring for our older parents as well as our older kids. Um, and, and find ourselves in a, in a situation where we're going to need to employ our hope in all the situations. Janet, it is so wonderful to have you here today.
1: Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so happy to be here.
0: I would love to hear more about your story and how you got into this work. I mean, this is very clearly you're operating in your zone of genius in this work.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's been a, a kind of a long journey. Um, and actually, it started when I was in high school. Surprisingly, uh, I grew up in a, a northern Ontario town and I volunteered at a nursing home. And it was the best experience of my life. I loved it. I loved it so much that when my parents couldn't drive me, I would take three buses, three city buses to get there because it was in technically another little town. Um, But I loved spending time with the people there and playing cards and just listening to their stories. So that was kind of the seed that was planted. And then I kind of went, you know, away from that, as we often do, and had a family. Um, and then when I went back to school, I had a great professor who had us really tap into what our passion was and really use that to define what our career would be. And when I when I really tapped into my passion, I knew it was working with elders. So I got my bachelor's and then my master's in healthcare administration and became a certified senior advisor, and worked in many different capacities of elder care, Um, and nothing quite satisfied that inner yearning and that passion uh, until last year when I decided that really what I thought would fulfill the passion was being able to serve elders on my own terms and what I felt that looked like. And what that looked like is a very whole person approach. Our industry in the U.S., and I I know it is in Canada as well, is very fragmented. And I wanted to give people one point of contact um, for families to kind of help them navigate all the things they're going to encounter uh, as their parents age. So I started a year ago, and it's been the ride of my life ever since.
0: Entrepreneurship, the definition, <laughs> the ride of your life. <laughs> yes, very accurate. <laughs> yeah, you are so right. You are so right. Um, I love that this started so early for you. The fact that you had this you know, teacher who encouraged you to, to choose a, to choose a profession based on your passion. I feel like that's got to be unique.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I had the advantage of going back to school, um, once my kids were older. So it was probably my bachelor's was probably 10 years ago. Um, so I think they, professors had, have started to come into that realization that, that our lives are holistic, that you can't just have a career because you make good money and that's a separate part of your life, that whatever you're doing also needs to fulfill you. Um, so I think kids today, when they go to school, get a lot more of that holistic sense than when maybe if you're in your 40s and you went to college in the in the 90s, it was much more get your degree, get a good job and do that for 40 years, then retire. Um, so I, I am really fortunate that I got my education after I had some life experience um, and was able to kind of choose what resonated with me.
0: I think that's very, very cool. I um, I love, I, actually, I was talking to my auntie last night and she, we were talking about um, two of my siblings have gone back to school in their late 30s. In fact, my brother-in-law will be 41 by the time he graduates or 42 or something. And how that's kind of common now is, is we have opportunity to go to school at all the years. Yep. Did you, did you find any, I don't know, resistance from anyone on, wow, you're so old, you're going back to school. What are you thinking? <laughs> you know, Um, because I know it's a, it's a, it can be a mindset thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, To be honest, you know, so my brother is still in Canada, and he went back to school older as well. And I do think there's a difference between Canada and the U.S. in that respect. In the U.S., there are a lot of programs that are designed for adult learners. Um, You know, for instance, I worked full-time the entire time I went to school, and some of my work was online. Some of it was in this kind of cohort model where you kind of had other professionals, in a small group who could hold you accountable and push you through. Uh, It's a different model of learning than when, than a traditional university. And I think that really helped me as well. Um, My brother, as far as I know in, in Ontario anyway, he didn't really have that option. Um, So he had to take some student loans and quit his full-time job and kind of matriculate as a normal student with a lot of younger people. And that was really challenging for him.
0: I bet that, yeah, that would be a mindset thing, but, and good on him for, clearly he had the agency and the motivation to want to do that, right. To, to sort of push through all those things anyway. Um, Yeah.
1: We like to say that we're a family of late bloomers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Hey, at least you're blooming, right? (laughs) Yes, we are all blooming now. That's for sure. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, It sounds like with your with your education, it gave you opportunity for balance, and I feel like that's got to be something you teach in in your work now. Um, You know, you talk about a holistic approach to aging, and I feel like sort of harmonizing all the different aspects of life would be really important in that work.
1: It is, it is. So in talking about balance, there was a point in my career really recently, which really catapulted me into my business too, where, where I didn't have balance. I was working as an assisted living administrator in memory care. So so there was 56 people living in this um, very nice complex but all of them had some form of cognitive impairment up to you know very very impaired and and very declined um, and I found myself loving those individuals so much that I lost that balance. I was giving too much to that facility. I was there sometimes at one two in the morning if someone was on hospice all all my own fault it was it was driven by me I had very supportive staff I had a system that I could have used but I felt compelled to be it all and do it all um, so I, I lost that balance and that's that really factored into my business because I know that that's what children of aging parents are feeling too they're balancing so much um, that they lose they lose that hope they lose that sort of groundedness. Um, so when I quit my job, I spent a good two months working on myself first and not everybody has the luxury of being able to do that. Um, and it was pretty tough financially, but it was needed just based on where I was at the time. And I started practicing yoga and, Changing what I put in my body as fuel and practicing mindfulness. So when I started my business, I really incorporated all those things into my business and it's it was a shift from my personal philosophy earlier. I used to tell my staff, um, you know Jane is 91. Let her eat cake for every meal if she wants to. And I, I kind of shifted that to, well, Yes, give them that satisfaction and that joy of still being alive. And if they enjoy cake, let them have cake. But at the same time, that's not good fuel for your body, which means it's not going to be good for your mind and your spirit. So I kind of had a shift when I rebalanced myself uh, I kind of shifted my own philosophy in caring for elders too, in that they need to have the same balance regardless of what age they are. Uh, and I know some people will disagree with me because they'll say, "Well, quality of life is way more important." But I would argue, "What quality of life are you getting when you're filling your body with with sugary treats?" There's got to be other things you can enjoy that are still healthy for you. So I actually do teach a mindfulness class to older adults and it is like magic. Uh, I think they grew up in a a world where that sort of reflection and stillness and, and self-care was not really part of their daily life like it can be for us today. Um, and it's been One of my greatest joys to be able to teach that particular class because it's simple breathing techniques and uh, listening to guided meditations that have really made a difference for some people. So I'm so thankful that I made that shift myself to rebalance and focus on my own health and wellness and then incorporating that into my business. You just
0: sound so peaceful when you speak about these things. like you're, <laughs> I mean, your passion for this work just it comes across in your voice. I love the, I don't know, the priority that you put on holistic living, regardless of the age. I mean, we talk yeah. about we talk about that for people, humans. Um, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. I've never really thought about that gap before, that age gap where, you know, why wouldn't that apply to us at all the ages because we're right. you know y- you and I feel better when we don't eat sugar every day, even though we love it. Why would that be different for anyone else? I love that
1: yeah yeah it, it it was a total mind shift for me because you know I used to think, well, whatever they take enjoyment in, that's what they should do but if you- if when we're older adults and you know i'm I'm almost forty two so i'm I'm Middle age, but I, I, I've studied older adults enough to know that they they don't decline in intellect. They're still able to learn new skills, um, but we kind of just feel like, okay, well, they should be able to do whatever because it's their final journey. But giving them education and tools, they can still learn and they can still grow as people. They're not done their journey, and we kind of just. Almost dismiss them from from participating in society
0: in some ways, they still get the reward of feeling accomplished right yes <laughs> yeah. yes yeah that's very very cool um, what about so you do a lot of work with the older adults what kind of work and support do you offer you know those of us that are that are trying to take care of our older parents. I imagine the pressure of, you know, us at this age, um, what kind of hope can you offer? Can you offer <laughs> our, our generation? Yeah.
1: So, so actually most of the times, most of the calls that I get are from children of aging parents. Um, once in a while it's a spouse, but typically it's the, the kid who will call. Usually it's the daughter. I. I I don't know why that still is. I think it's changing, but usually it's still the daughter. And they're calling overwhelmed because either they don't live in the same space as mom and dad, which happens so frequently now. We're spread all over the nation. And it's much harder to help mom or dad when you're not even local. Um, So they're calling me overwhelmed. So I become part counselor, uh, advisor, and just give them reassurance. And the first thing I like to do is is tell people that, you know, just like we have that mom guilt when we're working moms, um, and I, I don't like to compare caring for aging parents as parenting children. I don't like when people do that, but there are some similarities and I get why people do go that route. So not to feel guilty. So the first thing I tell them is not to feel guilty. Um, that they can't be with their parents all the time. Um, We as a society are very different than other generations and very different than other nations around the world where there still is the opportunity to care for parents full time. Most of us can't do that anymore and we shouldn't feel guilty that we can't. It's just realistically not an option. So that's the first step. And, Um, Sometimes I do share mindfulness practices. Um, Communication techniques for older adults is the other big thing that I help uh, parents, help children with aging parents with. So for instance, um, I see a lot of children talking to their parents almost like the roles reverse. And now you're parenting your parents and speaking to them in more of a authoritarian way. And that typically does not work. It it puts up conflict and barriers. So I do a lot of coaching on communication. And one of the ways I love to do that is to educate them on the stages of development that older adults are still going through. So we talked about how older adults can still learn. They can still get that sense of satisfaction from accomplishing a goal. Um, And they're actually still going through some stages of development, which are called control and legacy. Um, So legacy is the last stage of development. And control is usually the one where you're butting heads with with your parent. Um, Your parent is desperately trying to maintain a sense of autonomy and still be a contributing individual to society. And when you have those conversations about whether they should still be driving, whether they should downsize their home, whether they should move into a facility, if you look at it from their context of this control and how they still want to be a functioning part of society, it can reframe how you have that conversation and really can help guide it to be a more profitable interaction with your parent. So, so, for instance, if you, if you approach them like, Dad, you just can't drive anymore. Give me the keys. That's not going to go over very well. But if you understand that that vehicle and those keys represent one of the last feelings of independence that that person has, it can reframe that conversation to be more meaningful. You can even tell them that you understand how difficult this is um you can come up with a plan where he can still have that independence of getting where he needs to go by other means so it it really helps to alter that approach and having those conversations with your parents so that's another huge way that that I help those parents and give them hope those kids and give them hope again
0: that it that there are all the alternative sort of options in dealing with this because like you say we've never been the kids of aging parents before the same way that they've never been aging parents. Right. And, right. And, and I really liked what you said about, about shifting, shifting the perception because uh, it's not a role. It shouldn't be a role reversal as I understand it. Right. right. Those are, they're still your parents and, and they still, you know, know best what's best for them the same way that we as adults want to be able to control What's best for us um, right. yeah, I really I, I like that uh, that idea of um, these stages of development that control and legacy because of course we we want to hold on to that control that makes tons of sense to me, yeah, and then how do you move to that legacy develop stage of development is that is what is that stage
1: so the legacy stage of development is more when they're reminiscing on the life that they've led and what sort of, what do they want to leave behind? So um, in this stage, the this can be a very beautiful stage for families. A lot of reminiscing, a lot of looking at photo albums. Uh, sometimes during this phase, uh, children will realize a lot of things about their parents that they never knew. Uh, this happens with grandparents too, uh, you know, like for for me, I can remember with my my grandma, her sort of telling me about growing up in Scotland, things that I n- never knew about her before. Um, so some of these things become unlocked in them as they're trying to to kind of instill it in the younger generations um, and sort of inform some some of their kids' um, life before they leave. So it, it's very interesting. A lot of times during this phase, um, like so in, in the nursing home, we would have these classes where we'd put together celebration of life books um, and really help people walk through what sort of legacy they wanted to li- leave and not financially or legally, but what sort of um, message did they want to leave, communicate to their, to their family.
0: It sounds like communication is kind of key to this whole thing.
1: It is. Communication is definitely key. Communication and then just understanding uh, perceptions. You know, the other thing I, I love to tell people is think about our society and how, especially Western civilization, how we view aging. It's a very negative thing. Um you know, and and even even number wise, you know, like so we're coming into an election in the U.S. and some of the candidates are quote unquote old, and we're talking what seventy four and seventy five. Uh, I plan to still be working when I'm seventy four. You know, I, I I think we have this very negative view of aging, and we tend to dismiss people that are over 65 as no longer able to contribute to society. So you have all these things weighing on older adults. Uh, And I think ageism is going to become the next really hot topic, the way we view aging. In fact, 65 to 75-year-olds in the U.S. anyway are still the single biggest contributor to our economic development. So here we are as a society thinking that they can no longer contribute anything, but the reality is they're the biggest contributors to the welfare of our our economy right now. So it's changing people's perception and communicating that and then finding ways to communicate as families so that we can navigate this tricky area the best
0: way. I know we talked about this a bit off air before before we even started the recording, but you are doing incredibly important work. Um, You know, I I often think about um, as we go through our lives the new experiences that we're going to have, and and sort of count on count on others to mentor me, um, others who have come before me to be able to mentor me when I get to these scenarios. But what I think I'm hearing from you is this is really new for all of us, like. Nobody has really been in this place before, Um, you know, to, to a, have a population, an older population as large as the one that we have right now where, you know, there's, you know, people at over 65 are still the biggest income economic generator for us. That's never happened before. And our, our mindset shift, our perception shift and, and that desire for a shift to more towards more positive thinking um, around how we age is all brand new. How do you give hope to to our communities that that we will be able to handle it well? So
1: I think this is the most exciting thing is because you're starting to see so much innovation and people talking about older adults and aging in a different way. Um, so I think it's actually very hopeful that this aging, they call it the aging or gray tsunami, is happening because it's forcing us to have these conversations that, frankly, should have happened a long time ago. Um, and I, and there's never been a, you know, a, a, a scenario in either of our nations where we haven't been able to overcome. So, um I I actually think the hope comes from the fact that we're having these conversations now, and that we can come up with solutions and ways to communicate um, for the future,
0: making the future better than it is today. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Do you see hope in the nursing homes and the retirement homes that you hang out in? You spend time in? Oh,
1: that's a good question. So. You know, I, I actually thought I was going to become a nursing home administrator. I I was up to, so in, in New York State and in most states here, to become an administrator, you have to do an internship. And I was really, I was about to start my internship and I, I backed out last minute. Um, I, I don't see a lot of hope. I see for 10 years, different organizations trying to change the culture of nursing homes and I think that it's been ineffective and I think it's ineffective because the system itself has to change Um, even everything from the physical buildings that we're using I mean how do you have hope when when you have two people in a room and 40 rooms on a floor and um, people are running around just trying to provide the basic care. Um, so there's there's glimmers of hope. My assisted living is w- was built on a philosophy called the Eden philosophy. So it was smaller homes of 10 residents in each home, very home-like. We ate our meals together. Um, a lot of things have to change. So there's glimmers of hope, but... I think we need a complete overhaul. I really do. And I think we need to transition more to finding opportunities to care for people in small homes and even possibly even their own homes.
0: I was going to ask you about aging in place. I've heard sort of that catchphrase uh, often. Um, What do you, what do you think about aging in place and being able to age in our own homes and how, and how kids can facilitate that for their parents.
1: So baby boomers want to age in place. Uh, They've built, most of them have built a home that they love and a community that they love and they want to stay there. I will say that it's possible with planning and that is something that I help people do as well. But the caveat is that we have developed communities where it's not easy to age in place. So um, depending on on where you are, like for instance, if you live in a suburb, generally you have a two-story home and you're not close to bus routes. So as you age, it's hard to get around and it's hard to even get around your own home. We we kind of had very short-sighted vision in community planning because we spread out so much And we built these big homes that really, after a certain age, just physically are kind of impossible to maintain. Um, We're seeing a whole shift towards smaller homes and universal design. And I think for the future, we'll be much better able to age in place. But right now, it's not as easy as just saying, I want to stay home. There's plans that have to be made that are very specific to the individual based on if they have any chronic conditions or mobility issues. Um, Dementia is a big one for um, not being able to age in place because there are times where you may not even be safe at home. So I know it's a buzzword and I know that in talking with my clients and even in my professional career, it's what people want. I just don't think it's as easy as people think it is.
0: And again, it sounds like it all comes back down to communication, right? To communicate your wishes, to communicate yes. your the plans, the restrictions, the, you know, all of those things. Um, having those yeah. conversations will be really important.
1: Yeah. And, and in general... You know, we, we don't have those conversations with our parents um, until it's an uh, emergency. So if there's anything that I could advocate for, it's, it's having those conversations early so that there can be a, pa- a plan put
0: in place. How do you open the door to those conversations? Like, how, do you have any tips that we can use to open those doors to difficult conversations? you
1: know, it's kind of funny because my parents are 67 and 70, turning 71. And we, I I recently started having those conversations with them. Um, and it's very awkward, but in my family, we use humor a lot. So, um, you know, like sarcasm, for instance, goes a long way, breaking the ice. Um, And that works in my family. In my, with my in-laws, my mother-in-law is a planner. So she sat down with us and had her, what she calls croak files, (laughs) literally a binder with a frog on the front with everything you can imagine in the binder. Um, And she just reviewed it with us. So it is very family specific. Uh, Again, using, an approach that treats parents with respect and, and dignity is important. And then whatever works for your family, such as humor or um, maybe prayer, <laughs> if you're a praying yeah. person. Yeah. But the hardest part is really starting the conversation. And then once you start it, even if it gets shut down, you've planted that seed. And then generally they'll come back around. Um, Now that's with our, that's with baby boomers. Now I have one living grandma who is 90. It is impossible to talk with her about anything, no matter how hard we try. Um, So that sort of I think the greatest generation is, is much different. She will shut us down in an instant and say, I have everything taken care of. You don't need to worry about it. And that's really as far as we get, um, no matter how much we try. So that's, that's my 90-year-old grandma. So again, it, it depends on the age, too.
0: Back to that communication and what you spoke about at the very beginning about respecting our parents where they're at, right? And, and hearing, hearing what they're trying to tell us and looking at it from their perspective. I feel like, you know, your grandma feels like she's got it under control. And I mean, how hard could you push? Should you push? You know, it, it's like you say, she's shut you down and she's quite stoic in her, you know, I've got this. Let me have that control.
1: Yeah, so, so ultimately, if they still have capacity, they still are a person who can make their own decisions, and they could definitely decide that they don't want to talk about it, that they don't want your help, and they don't want to share with you, and it is definitely their right to do so. Um, one thing that helps is to share with them how difficult it makes it after say a death so for instance with my with my grandma who's 90 she's she's stating that she has everything in order and that may be a hundred percent true but if it's not there are some challenges so for instance if she hasn't named anybody uh to to handle her estate when she's gone um there's implications to that depending on where you live Um, If she hasn't divided up her assets, then again, there's implications. So sometimes that can help start the conversation is letting, educating people that there are implications. um, A beautiful example is, you know, in in the U.S., in New York State, we have a healthcare proxy. Um, I think in Canada, you would just have it be part of your POA, maybe healthcare power of attorney. Um, but it, it allows someone to make your healthcare decisions when you're no longer able to. And most people want to put that off. Um, but as soon as you let them know that, that what that means, it might not be, I may not be able to make decisions for my parents as easily as if there was something in place should something happen. So when they know that there are implications to not having the discussions and not having the paperwork in order, sometimes that can open the door to have meaningful conversations that can produce you know the results that you want.
0: That's really great advice. I like um, making it personal and connecting it to something that's really important to them, which goes back to that legacy piece, I imagine. Yeah, that's really great, um, yeah. Jana, The last question I always ask all of my guests. Is what gives you hope?
1: Oh, what gives me hope? There are lots of things that gives me hope, but I have to say the 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 joy I receive when I get a card or a letter, um, and most importantly, hugs from from older adults, um, gives me hope. Uh, I make a difference, and every time I make a difference for one person, I think, oh, I could do this for ten more people. Mm-hmm and it gives me
0: hope. That's just awesome. You are doing such important work and giving hope to so many families. Um, Jenna, thank you so, so much for joining us here today. I think you've really touched on an issue and a topic that's, if it's not close to our hearts yet, um, it will quickly become close to our hearts. And you offered some really tangible, practical advice on, on how to use Hope to motivate action in this case. So I really, really appreciate your time and and your thoughts. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Hope Motivates Action podcast. I truly believe that the future will be better than today by taking action over the things we can control, and these conversations really show how hope is making a difference in people's lives. If you love this episode or any episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star review. It's these reviews that put my podcast on the radar of others, and I'd love to keep spreading the hope in our communities in this way. You can also find this podcast on all the popular podcast players, as well as on my website at expertinhope.com. And while you're there, check out my membership program. It's called Better Than Today. This is an online membership for the person who's done with not having enough time, money, or energy in their life and is ready to integrate work and life with intention so their future is better than today. Sound like you? Awesome. Love to have you join us, so click the link on my website or in the show notes of this episode today. Speaking of the show notes, you'll find all the links and resources mentioned on this episode, so check that out as well. Again, thank you for your love and support of this podcast for my work in hope and your intentional focus on making your future better than today. After all, hope without action is just a wish.